but the game was different, right? The the, the rules was different. The ball. Oh, was the Euro, different. The, Euro, the Euro style is different in America. The Euro style was a lot different in America. <laughs> That's the Especially, first time y'all seen that Euro step too, huh? Absolutely. Well, today on the Euro step in, really, 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 really honored um, to have my guy Flo um, with me today on the show. Uh, man like Flo. Um, <laughs> um, <It was> deep. <laughs> hey Flo man um, you know I've known you for a very long while um, would you like to tell the people um, a little bit of something about yourself starting about from where you came and, and your college career and all the rest of it yeah um, listen, I'm a kid from South London Ghanaian heritage uh, started playing basketball when I was about 12, 13, something like that. Uh, first went to Chester and Wildcats. You guys know that team. Um, mm -hmm. But it was too far. I was coming home late all the time. My mum didn't like it. So she goes, either stop playing basketball or you find somewhere closer. And one of my guys, he um, heard about a team called Brixton, uh, Brixton Top Cats. So he told me about that. So I was still on the fence, but then uh, Andrea, late Andrea, she came to my school and uh, put on a coaching clinic. And like just her, her energy and everything there like really got me interested in the game or to wanting to branch out outside of whatever was happening in PE classes and stuff. So Andrea coming to my school, started it, went to Brixton when I was about 15. I think I was 14, 15 years old. Okay. And um, started that journey, you know, of all the greats that was at Brixton. I was one of the youngest, you know. Mm -hmm. um, then I left um, when I was 18. I went to the States with our guy, Lake and Papula, went to the same high school. Jeez, man, like. In Connecticut. After, um, this is a long intro. This is more like a story. No, it's fine. That's fine. We're, we're good. Yeah. So when me and Lake and both played um, at Brixton. And then remember one day, because everyone was talking about, oh, I want to go to the States. I want to go to the States. Yeah. Lakeland was like, yo, there's this uh, AU team in the States. Like, do you want to go? Like, everyone says they want to go, but no one really wants to go. Like, do you want to go? I said, yeah, yeah. So, you know, worked a little bit, saved some money. Then we went out. But before we went out, this is when Jimmy told us if we leave, because it was going to be in, like, uh, March or something like that. Playoff time. The playoffs were starting. Yeah. Because we, we played for juniors and men's at the time. And then um, I was what? And Jimmy, Jimmy said, if you guys go, you're off the team. So <laughs> got kicked off Brixton. <laughs> I was like, listen, uh, if Jimmy, that, so be it, innit? Uh, I love so, Jimmy, man. Got kicked off the team. Um, went to this AU tournament. Um, and while we were there, one of our games, I remember we was in the, the gym. And then we looked like, yo, is that, is that Michael? I said, yo, Mike, this is obviously Lamar. Yeah, yeah, so what yeah. are you doing now? Oh, we got a game. When's your game? It's next. Our game is next. Are we playing you? Oh, they oh, <laughs> left. Brings the showdown. So we went at it, which was which was a great. It leads onto the story. So after that, we came back. Uh, didn't have a lot of offers. Well, not not really any offers. And then again, Lake was like, "Yo, there's this thing called Eastern Invitational in New Jersey. That's yeah, so a probably can get some looks from that." So he mm. gave me the details. I worked my job at Saver Center in Collierswood. Replenishing shelves was the title, wasn't it? Okay, hey, you gotta use that hype for something, you know what I mean? 
So I'm over there in the garden section. Even I remember um, Wayne, <laughs> Henry, he found me. What are you doing this? That makes some money, man. We're playing the composter like on uh, the bottom shelves, all these little things at the top. Um, so we I saved enough, saved up enough money to go uh, pay for the camp and for my flight mm-hmm. to go to this tournament. There uh, it was one week tournament in New Jersey. Um, the first day, you know, I got. I fell through the cracks and they put me into like the bottom tier. I think it was like East and West, I think they did it. So the East was strongest, something like that. And then Lakin and another guy we were with, they was in the East and you know, I felt a bit embarrassed and a bit ashamed like, yo, how am I paying this money? How am I coming from England? And I was starting and, and now I'm in this like the bottom tier. So Hold on, hold on, pause, 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 wait. So are you saying when you went to this camp, Lakin yeah. was ranked higher than you. Yeah, but here's, here's a turn of events though. He was ranked higher than me because here's the thing, this is what, and as, as a scout, like you learn it, I wasn't doing the right things on the floor to get me seen. Like, okay. you know, like you try and do too much. You end up yeah, trying yeah. to do too much, you end up doing nothing. So I would just end up really doing nothing, not really performing. And they put me in, I think it was the West, that was the weaker group. And so I was like, I don't want to be here. So rather than soak, I started balling out. So like every game, I think we were winning. And then I was showing like all facets of my game, inside, outside. Like there's one, I wish I kept that that kind of skill set. Cause I was more like, I was playing more like a three, four. Not, mm-hmm. I turned into a four, five as it went on. But I remember one in particular, which actually probably did it. I got the rebound. And I was pushing full court, half court. Someone stepped up, in out, crossed him. Hey. it again, and then there's a guy cutting from the left side. And I hit him with a pass, and I span. No one comes. Yeah, you know, you go, you go. I used to jogging back, like yeah. I've already done that. Then a couple other games, I might go like dunk or something. <laughs> um, the next day, um, the camp directors they they found me out. It's like, excuse me, yo, we made a mistake. We put you in the the wrong group, we're gonna place with another team. Okay. So they put me in the better in the better group now, the East. Cool. So I went in that group. These are guys, a lot of guys that played D1 that was in there. And then my team ended up winning that uh the tournament at the camp and I won most improved player. And I got um, some D1 offers and um some high school offers. But I didn't think I was completely ready uh to go D1. So I ended up going to high school. I went with Lake into the gunnery in Washington, Connecticut. So from having these D1 offers, as the school year went on, me and Lake, we were working all the time. Like every morning we'd wake up, at least out of five, about five to seven days, maybe like four of those days, we'll just get up 5.30 in the morning, either go lift or get onto the, to the court. Um, Cause that's the only time we could have to work on our games. Cause we can't really, be the player you want to be in practice alone, you know? Mm. It was just the time afterwards, so we would do that. But as the season went on, all of my offers just dwindled. I just I had nothing, really. I had like D2 and D3 offers, and I went to visit um, a D3 school. I think it was New Haven, it was called. And I was just like, you know, they were selling it to me, but I just felt like, mm. I didn't come all this way for this, man. And then turn of events. Remember that um, AU tournament? 
Right? Yeah. So that, that AU tournament that we had before we came to the high school, that same team, Loire's team, was going to play in Connecticut. And then my old AU coach had connected with Loire's AU coach. was like, yo, two of my guys in Connecticut. And Loire mentioned it too. And it's like, yo, can he called my head coach at the high school. He's like, yo, can um, Lakin and Flo play for my team for this tournament? And obviously, if we never went to the AU tournament, we never would have played against them. The yeah, coach yeah. remembered us, we never got the recommendation. So we did that. And at this time, Lawrence was like one of the top players in the country. He's a sophomore. And there was just three games, I think. Three games, two days or four games, two days, something like that. And we were like old Brixton Connect, throwing me alley-oops, tip jams, running a fast break, all this stuff. So from having like only like a D3 and D2 offer, I got like three, four D1 offers just off the one weekend. And okay. um, like Notre Dame, Ryder, Delaware. Now, I wanted to go Penn, but my SATs wasn't, they were good. They were good enough to get into any D1. It wasn't good enough for Ivy League. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of wanted to follow Uganda's uh, footsteps to be okay. like, yeah, yeah. To, to be elite in athletics and academics. So, um, one school, LaSalle, which is a Division One school in Atlantic 10, they were like the most, they showed the most interest. Like the, one of the assistant coaches drove like five hours or something like that just to watch me play two on two, you know, and then do some like, just to see me move on the court. And I just, I, I never had anyone show me that kind of interest. And then they flew me out there from Connecticut to Philly, put me in like a five-star hotel, you know, it's like, I'm coming from England. I'm not getting any of this. <laughs> on the college campus with the coaches, I'm going to the classrooms and then you know, the classrooms are full. Then you walk in and then the coach is talking to the professor, like, oh, it's one of our recruits. And then, you know, see, you see the, you see the, um, the students looking at me, like, okay, you know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> everyone's like, around, like, we got 100 people. Yeah, 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 it felt like I was somebody. You know what I mean? So, um, and what, what, what helped was um, one of their players, uh, on the south, Rashid Quadri, he played at Brixton, mm -hmm. so I kind of knew him already. So I was like, for me, it was just a, it was an easy transition. You know, I went I first went to the states with someone I knew, and then I'm going to my first D1 with someone I know, and it just made the transition easy. So uh, I was at that school for three years, but it was marred with some issues and injuries, man. So okay, cool. Let me stop you there before you before you get to the. Before you get into it, let me let me uh, navigate a couple of things. All right, so um, what was your, you know, when you met Andrea and, um, yeah. you know, she kind of got you into playing club basketball, yeah. what was your aspirations, um, you know, for, for being a basketball player? What did you want to achieve? It started off as um, NBA. Because, you know, I used to have like all the posters and the stickers and the trading cards. I just, I, I fell in love with like the NBA and the lifestyle. So like, I was a big fan of um, Chris Webber, Shaquille O'Neal okay. and Grant Hill. Like, I just like their whole demeanor and how they played like Shaq and Chris Webber because they were dominate, domineering you know, on the court, powerful. Uh, Grant Hill, he was 6'8", small forward. One of my cousin's favorite players as well, who passed away. So I remember I always wanted to be six foot eight, um, three man. That's how I wanted to be. I ended up okay. being six foot eight. 
Cool, man. It's close. <laughs> close, <laughs> close. But then, yeah, so it, it, it went from, I want to make the NBA to, like, the goal was, if somebody asked me if I played basketball, I could confidently say yes, because it was my job. Okay. So that's what I wanted. Like, oh, do you play ball? Yeah, I do. That's what I wanted. Uh, and, and like, okay. when, when, I, when that started to happen, you know, that was like, like then you realize, oh damn, I'm living out my dreams. I didn't realize. When did you like, oh, when, really? when did you realize that you was living out your dream? Then, if you you know what I mean, was it early? Was it? Nah, that didn't start till um, maybe my um, second or third year in Japan. So that was like my fourth year pro. And you realize it just it just hit you that hey, I'm actually living out my dream. Yeah, because a lot of the things I was doing, like I'm I'm supposed to do it. And plus it was amateur status. You know, I wanted to go and play high school ball. So I worked hard for that. I got it. I was supposed to get it. I wanted to play division one. I worked hard for that. I got it. In my head I'm like, I'm supposed to get it. It's not like something like, oh wow, I made it. No. Um okay. I wanted to play for G B was big when I first played for G B. That was my first pro gig, well, pro gig. Um, <laughs> even that, I didn't feel like I made it because um, it's my first year. You know, my bank account was very, it was on slim fast. So it was like, I, I couldn't feel pro like if I wasn't getting paid to do what I do. Um, you know what I mean? Obviously we got our like, um, what was it? The, um, the mill money or whatever. Uh, you know, back then, GB had some money, but it was like, um, I think they got money now, but I don't know. They do. Um, <laughs> uh, it was a. Uh, it just didn't feel like it because obviously I think I think I was comparing myself too much to my guys that was there. You know, losing the NBA. I think Pops had just got to the Mavericks, and okay. Joel Freeland was playing in Spain pro, and Andrew Betts had been playing for years, and Sullivan had been playing for years. I'm just, I'm just yeah, coming yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm not. I'm nowhere near there. So that's why it took a few years of being seasoned and like okay. getting into a routine and conducting myself as a pro for me to be like, okay, yeah, okay, I'm a pro, that kind of thing. Got you, got you. Okay. Um, kind of circling back to LaSalle, like what questions did you ask when you was being recruited or what questions, you know, looking back at it, what questions you wish you would have asked um, before you got there? Um, well, most of my questions I asked was academic based. Okay. Um, because the condition for me going to the States was that I would uh, maintain good grades and get a good degree. That was the condition with my mom. And my okay. okay. So I was just making sure that that was, was um, fine. As far as basketball, um, they, I remember they asked me more questions. Like, you know, um, how would you describe your game? You know, what's the best aspects? What do you want to learn? What do you want to get out of it? You know, that kind of stuff. Maybe I could have asked more, but I don't think things were defined as well. I didn't have a proper definition of how I really wanted to play. Even though I had these guys in my head, I wish I'd been a bit more um, clear when it came to that. Okay. I could have got more out of it. My earlier on in my career you know I was just you know jumping in everything's moving at a fast pace 
okay, I'm playing a forward position, but you know, my introduction to you know high level was you know going against you know, you know rest in peace, my old teammate was Saul Butler, who played in the league for many years. They cooked me. I never, I never met a player who was like my height who could dribble and shoot like that, you know. But then I was like, you know what? This um, perimeter stuff is difficult. You know? <laughs> Let me try the post. <laughs> and then, um, then I start. I played against um, NBA fours and fives. And I was like, yo, this this four and five life is kind of tough. Too. Like these guys are strong. <laughs> yeah, I, remember, I remember being bullied. Like you never been bullied at your position. You don't know what it's like. And then so like all the seniors, they would like. I'm just looking at them like, damn. Like, I was an athletic kid, you know, 18, 19, like I could jump out of the paint and yeah. you know, look it back, all those kind of things. But I never had the strength or the composure or the IQ to play at a fast pace. I remember the game was fast, man. So I, was, I wish I just asked a few more things about that, like how I could slot in, what exactly I should work on. So okay. when it came to practices, I was like, Boom, this, 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 and that. Oh, yeah. Okay, and um, that's kind of like, you know, do, doing a, a lot of these um, interviews for me, that seems to be the common thing of a lot of people, a lot of, of players and, and even parents of, hey, the goal is to get to America and then that's it. So it's not like there's, you're not really interested in how do I fit in, where do I slot in? It's just, are you going to give me a scholarship? Great, I'll see you Monday kind of thing. So yeah, having having that time to reflect on finding out the right situation um, is probably like more important now in hindsight, would you agree? It was, but the problem I faced, uh, maybe there's, there's a lot of guys like that too, was I was a late bloomer. So when you're a late bloomer and then when you finally get opportunities, everything is thrown at you a million miles an hour. So it's like, okay, this, that, that. But where I think like, if I'd been, or got into it earlier, or been a better player sooner, I'd have been more time to digest. I would have got used to offers. I would have got used to okay. questions and experience. But for me, it was just thrown at me. Like I went from, remember I went from playing in um, the, the the lower league at yeah, um, yeah. camp, camp yeah. now, D1 and I could be a potential starter like within like a year this wasn't and I, I don't know I didn't really have a mentor at the time I don't remember anybody older that I could like really lean on and talk to okay and you think having a mentor and I, right and this is the first time I've heard somebody mention a mentor kind of thing and I think it makes sense having somebody that's kind of gone through the process before and kind of walking you through it um, would probably be a bit more beneficial. I like that. Um, yeah. I'll see if we can do something. Okay, so um, you get to LaSalle, um, you know, you, you've achieved the D1 dream. Yeah. What's what's the turning point now? In, in terms of? Uh, in terms of, you know, you playing at LaSalle, having a great time and, you know, finishing out your career there. What? What what transpires at LaSalle? Injuries first. Uh-huh. Um, so my freshman year, I had to redshirt. Mm-hmm. Um, twisted my ankle bad, really bad. And um, ended up having um, halogus longus tendonitis. 
and my foot, which kept me in a boot and a cost for a total of uh, about two and a half months and on crutches. Mm. So I remember when that happened, grades started to slip because like, yo, the only reason why I came here was for this and now I can't do this and I'm away from home and this is my first time. So it was like, it was bad. But this is when I started learning about um, how to communicate because um, when it got to a point where I felt like I couldn't cope, I finally went to my coach and spoke to him. And then he created an avenue for me to speak and for my professors to speak to me. And then when you just, when I was just able to explain what was going on with, with me and how I wanted to turn it around, they were so open, like really open and really like helpful, like helped me with deadlines and catching up with work. And you know, that was only like the first semester. After that, it was fine, but they really helped. And I was like, damn, I should have been speaking about this uh, a little Probably. sooner. Yeah, and then went into my next year. So my red shirt freshman year, I played, um, I was getting garbage minutes. And this is, I remember a line that said, um, when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, that's when you'll make a change. So I remember like, after like six, seven games, like I was I was feeling embarrassed. That's what it was, that I'm coming onto the floor the last two minutes, the last okay. one minute, that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was just trying to practice first. I was like, yo, I'm gonna get an opportunity. And then obviously the stuff that happened the year before, I didn't allow it to happen this year, meaning not communicating. So I went straight to my coach. I was like, yo, coach, listen, I know you got, you got your rotation. I'm always on the second team. I want to play more. I don't like us coming at the end. What what can I do? Like, what, what would you need to see from me in order for you to put me into that? And he told me straight, you know, you know coach Billy Horn, thank you very much. Told me straight, him and Roland Houston, they're very, and Coach Lombardi, Joe Lombardi, they were very straight. And they told me this, that, it's great. When you got someone that's honest with you, mm-hmm. then there's there's no bones about it. I ain't get, there's no guesswork. He said, you do this, you do that, you do that, you'll get playing time. So come practice, I start doing this and that. Flo, change over your jersey. So, <laughs> Made the it. First team, so. Yeah, and then the, the, the turning point for me playing, was um, the eighth game, I believe it was, the seventh game of the season. We played Cincinnati at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And uh, Big was playing a bit scared. You know, they had Jason Maxill and um, another guy. And he just wasn't really performing. And then the coach gave me a chance, jumped in there. And then I felt like I was back on ends. The way I was talking on defense, bro. Like it was me and Rashid on there. I was like, I was like yo, yo, blood. Hey man, moving down there. Rotate, rotate, bro, rotate. Like, <laughs> I was talking like I was on the end. And it made me feel comfortable on the court. Uh-huh. And then um, I remember that game. Remember, I wasn't playing at all. And then that game, I had like 10 points and like eight rebounds, something like that. And I got a dunk in there, I remember, for inbounds play. And then uh, the coach, Ronnie Houston, he was like, man, that's big, you know, I'm not going to cuss, but he was like, well done. He was proud of me. Then the next game, um, our big was doing a similar kind of thing, not really on it. So the second half of that game, coach started me. And then after that, so from like game eight or nine, he started me for the rest of the season, you know what I mean, my freshman year. And then I was the start of my sophomore year, but then halfway during the season, I had another injury, I had a stress fracture on my shin. Um, 
I thought it was shin splints because I'd been feeling pain for like a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then one game, um, I got a dunk. I came down. I was in some of the worst pain I felt. Couldn't make it to half court, sub me out. And then I just set out the season. And then I lost that season, obviously, because I'd redshirted. And then the following year, we're going into uh, the season and a bunch of madness was happening at my school with um, some teammates and my name got put up in the mix and we were like thrown to the wayside, you know? Mm. That's when um, I was out of school, trying to get back into schools, but because with this stuff going on, no one wants to touch you. And whilst I'm out, I end up tearing my ACL. You know what I mean? So it's like, it was tough and I just managed to the circuit, the, circuit, the um, series of events to get into a Division Two school that would take a chance for me it was like it's it's big. Like you think of it like this. So remember, I told you about the AU tournament. Yeah. So that AU tournament that helped me get to the high school because that team came back and said, "Yo, Flo can play." So when I was leaving the South, I kept in contact with that coach. So I used to go there in the summers to work out. Rich Leary in New Jersey. Yes, the New Jersey Demons AU team. So when that happened, I said, yo, Rich, I'm going to be out of school. I don't know how long. You got this stuff going on. So I remember he used to give me a place to work out. So he did the same thing, gave me a place to work out. So when I was trying to get back into school, while I was trying to deal with this stuff, you know, I turned my ACL. I turned my ACL. I got no health insurance. My family ain't got a lot of money like that. And so it just so happened to be one of the players on the AU team whose house we all stayed in one summer to work out. His parents were both surgeons. His dad was a surgeon for the Knicks. His mom was a surgeon for the Liberty. Rich asked him his favorite. This guy, he works hard, like he's had a bad time. So he says, this is um, Dr. Norman Scott. He said, I have no problem. I'll do your surgery for free. I'll I'll just pay my um." Um, what you call it, my co-workers for the time they're putting in. So tearing my ACL, he does that for free. Fortunately, because I wouldn't be able to pay for it. And his eldest son just got a assistant coach's job at Division Two school in Kentucky. So he's like, let me put your contact with my son. Mm. So they flew me out to Kentucky, to Louisville, Kentucky, to a school called Bellarmine. And I met with their you know, the coach and the lawyers and stuff just to make sure everything was all right. And they took a chance on me. You know, I was still, I was only like four or five months post um, ACL reconstruction. So I was, I couldn't even play. Like, yeah, yeah, but yeah. he had seen me, like his son had seen me play before I got hurt and was like, listen, we'll take you. You have both of your ACLs are gone. <laughs> we'll take you. Dude, like that, yeah, huh? Yeah, they, they brought me in and then that's what started it because whilst I was, I remember I told you about not having like a, a defined purpose of how I wanted to play, or how I could yeah. play. Mm-hmm. My time out of school working with Rich Leary and the guys at Hoops America, they gave me like skill sets on how to actually like score, how to play. Taught me how to rebound, and box out and running mechanics and all, all these things. So when I got into my Division Two school, and then my first year averaging like 13 or something, then the second year averaging just under 19 and making um, all conference team and all that kind of stuff. I was thinking back like, yo, how did I used to score when I was 
at my old school because I didn't didn't do any of the stuff. None of that, and all all of that transferred into when I got to GB. Because when I got to GB, my like um, Chris Finch, one of the first things he said to me, like when when I when he first put me onto the team, was, "Flo, when you get the ball in the post, go to work." That's what I used to do was just post or high post, and to hear that like from a coach like that and a team like that, going through what I'd been through, and then learning these things, and now like. I was a guy where it's just, yo, bro, get us a bucket. <laughs> that's what I do. And that, and that transferred into, that's what helped when I got to Japan. Yeah, that was, well, it was, it's all like, it's a, a snowball effect. Yeah, it's crazy how it all leads into each other and it all moves yeah. forward and, and kind of, I don't want to say goes full <laughs> circle, but you know, who would have thought that going to that AAU tournament would be so beneficial for you three years down the line kind of thing so um yeah you'd never know um what was the 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 hardest thing about leaving LaSalle um you know what was you know con considering again way what you had to go through and the processes of mm -hmm. getting to the states and all the rest of it how rough was it you know what was your mental state like well, well obviously leaving wasn't under the best circumstances you know because there was a uh, allegations force force allegations and stuff and you know can you cuss on here i don't want to cuss but uh, I mean, yeah we, we try and keep it pg i won't yeah so i was the you realize that i was the token okay so any event any kind of anything where you have to represent the school. We need a male athlete or a black male athlete. You well spoken, you got good grades. Oh, flow, yeah. And then as soon as something happens, they just disregarded you. Aside. You know, I was like, okay. That, that was like my first realization, like, well, you know, in this life, you know, people don't, they could give a flying 747 about what's going on. They got to cover what's, they got to cover them. And I yeah. understand. I understand, you know, it wasn't like the best of um, scenarios, and it's, it's a tricky situation. Um, I had a good group of friends, um, my family, you know. I, 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 it came to more like the embarrassment again because, like, how am I doing this? And I didn't do anything, but why is this being brought up on, against me? And it's like, damn, it's just like shame towards you know, my mom and my brother and that kind of stuff. And I just kept thinking, like yo, the younger version of me didn't work hard for this, like, and then mm. it became a battle with, like, battling my own demons, like, to stay the course and to understand that it may not end up as bad as you think, you know? Keep working, you know, find the motivation, um, you know, the, you know that the prayer of serenity. I'm not religious, but... Yeah, 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 yeah. Grant me the courage to, yeah. the wisdom to accept what I can't and the, and to change what I can. That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I was just working, and then I was. I had you know, Rich Leary was like a, a guiding angel at the time. You know, he would talk to me so much and help, and he didn't ask for anything but hard work. And to me, that was that was nothing. Came from Brixton, work hard there. There's nothing I could do. Yeah. That. I mean, so. 
there was that and then obviously when her, but then the, the lowest it got to was um on the friday on a friday i was gonna go to court on the monday um so friday the december the second i was supposed to go to court december the fifth and i was playing in this tournament in new york at, uh, basketball city it was a championship game while I was out of school because no schools didn't want to touch me so I had to do stuff outside of school and then I tore my ACL so when I got oh the pain bloody hell the pain um, when I got back to the apartment I remember I was like I remember I started bawling I started crying I was like yo the only thing that kept me above water is gone like I, I don't know if I could even walk again because the pain I was in and I got this court case on Monday so you know what I mean? I was just by myself and I was like the lowest I could get. And I was like, yo, can't get no worse than this. So uh, when the Monday went to the court in Philly, um, this is for these allegations. As soon as I got there, uh, the court, the, the, the judge threw out the, the case. You know what I mean? So it was like a waste of a, a lot of money, a lot of time. And they just threw it out. And then Rich drove me. So we was in New Jersey, drove me to Philly for that. And after Philly, we drove all the way to Manhattan um, to see Dr. Scott. And that's when he said, yeah, he did the knee test. And then the, the tears again, like, oh, man. Like, I remember Lawal called me like, what was it, like a week after or something? He was at, he had like a few minutes between practice with the ball. He's like, yo, what's going on? Like, is everything okay now? I said, yo, they do out the case. I said, oh, man, that's awesome. Yo, I'm so happy for you. I said, bro, that's so I know it's happening. He said, what? I told my ACL, bro. He's like, oh, <laughs> can't catch a break. Yeah. And then um, oh. I went through that that tough um, climb back. Yeah, you know, that rehab kind of. That's I've, tough climb back, man. I, don't, I would imagine, like, yes, I can imagine uh, an ACL being rough physically, but I think with everything going on, like, how did you manage to keep your, your 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 mental sanity? How did you manage to kind of keep upbeat? Because I, you know, going through all of that stuff, having being on your own, being away from family and friends. Um, yeah, you had Luau and stuff, but I mean, it's a lot different than how, you know Luau's doing his thing over you know where he's at. So you kind of like pretty much being on your own. How did you manage to deal with that? Um. I was fortunately surrounded by good energy and the good energy comes from the youth. So I was working out and coaching at uh, Hoops America. That's why I got like the, the love for coaching, especially skill stuff. And these kids, you know, as young as six and as old as like, you know, 18, 19, 20. And so they always had positive energy. So. No matter what you're feeling like, when you're surrounded by them, you kind of forget, you know? But then when you're by yourself and then you're remembering, like you look at your surroundings and the air mattress that you're sleeping on and you're seeing the progression, like, man. And then when you start talking to the right people or people start reaching out. So fortunately for me, I had the right people in my life that would um, ask me things because I was always a bit closed off to start off with. And then, um, it was um, Coach Houston's wife. He was an assistant coach at the South and they going to George Washington. His wife, we were talking, and then she, she's very good, such a sweet lady. And 
the way she was talking and asking these questions like you're flung who are you talking to what kind of help are you getting what, what are you telling yourself like these kind of things because it got to a point where I remember my mum had noticed it and my mum said that I sounded suicidal on the phone because of all the stuff that was going on and then when you recognise that and it's affecting other people then like you're gonna like wallow in that or you gotta snap out of that and so I just did my best to snap out of it you know and then just had to leave it to whatever it was gonna be prepare myself for any scenario like you know if they, if the system was gonna you know do me over you know what, you know, what could what could can I deal with that? You know, if they don't, and everything is working out, was, my focus was just on that. I, you know, two of my best friends, you know, they had finished school and started to play pro, and I'll be around them and just just being around things that I was gonna look forward to when it was all done. Mm-hmm. So it was that aspirations, a lot of hope, and I don't know. I, listen, honestly, I don't. Sometimes I don't realize like or know what made me keep working maybe it's like a na- naivety or something but oh it was coming up to the challenge because back then I was a bit more religious and then I would I would tell myself that like I'm not gonna let the devil win I used to say stuff like that and I was like yo whatever you put up against me I'm gonna battle that because my my faith is stronger than any any obstacle you can put in front of me so I was just that was yeah that's that, that sounds that sounds my I, I, it's awesome hearing about it and it's like really um sobering to know that you know your journey and you've gone through so many things and to come out on the other end and to see where you are now is um man it's it's definitely something man it's, it's crazy to think about that back from playing out in Chesterton to not knowing anything to now, you know, um, doing doing your scouting and stuff is, is, is incredible. Um, kind of for the young, young, um, the younger audience that are going through, you know, that are now, I guess, freshmen um, on planning to go out to the States, you know, with your, with the, with the allegation that came up, um, how could you have avoided being in that scenario? How could you have avoided being in a situation where they could even call your name? Was it, you know, just being around bad people or what? No, it, it was, well, number one, it's understanding who you're around. And this is not the guys, because it was two separate incidences rolled into one. Okay. It was understanding that maybe the person that you're involved with the female is a bit unhinged it has a reputation like you know people don't have bad reps by accident you know you know despite what your interaction may be like with them on a one-to-one when multiple people are saying negative things or oh, they did this or they did that like what are you thinking to try and go there that's one and two you know shut your mouth well because <laughs> I know me like I was you know back then young, you know young dumb that kind of stuff like when you finally like bag a bad one bad one um, in both senses of the word um, 
just go tell like, yo, I was just, you know what I mean? I just did, dumb. And then it's very easy for, they made it very easy for for girls to cry, to cry wolf, you know what I'm saying? Without questioning the validity of what happened or anything. So they throw you to the, to the, they throw you to the wolves. If you're a black male athlete, oh no, oh no. That's that's easy. Oh, line them up quick. You know what I mean? That's what it was. It's like down. that kind of thing. So it wasn't like no teammates or I've heard stories where guys go to parties and they get roped in. Mine was an isolated thing, but just talking. So I I, I keep most of my stuff clandestine now. Like this, I don't talk about it. Don't post it. It's just you know what I mean because that one person can feel some type of way, get called out in public, and then make some false allegations and then drag your name through dirt for two years like mine was or longer than that because it still affected uh, my earning potential and stuff overseas. I remember reading message boards when I was first going to Spain and fans were like, we don't like people like this in our country. Um, I remember an, an agent telling me, oh, this team in China or this team in Korea, they're kind of apprehensive because of stuff that's still on Google. You know, all this kind of stuff. So it hurts the, the chances from one one mistake. Because the thing is, maybe I was naive back then too. Because when you're involved in a situation like that with somebody that you think is a friend, you know, who you go to class with, and you do homework with, and you think everything's cool. But then if they feel betrayed because you are doing that like that. So it wasn't it wasn't the scenario wasn't good, especially because it involved other teammates a year later or something else. And then everybody gets him. Everybody everybody starts having something affecting me, you know. Three of us had to get had to leave school. Both of the head coaches on the male and the female um, team got fired. Like affected a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a big domino. And it's all, I guess, for that being, uh, from someone being a, a disgruntled or whatever, I mean, I guess sometimes you're gonna, you know, um, and I've said it as a, you know, in my coaching capacity and dealing with high schoolers now, um, and I say, hey, you know, sometimes the line is, you can make it very blunt in terms of, you know, even if it's a, a jovial no, just take it as a no. Or yes. if it's a if if it's a kind of a unsure or you know a 50-50 is a no. Do you know what I mean? And if you approach it as such and make sure that you um, are above board and obvious, then hopefully there shouldn't be any you know uh, repercussions. It's a tough one because well, obviously the biggest thing is to observe your surroundings and maybe be better at vetting people because you know what in my case it was keep your mouth shut mm -hmm. you know there's supposed to be something that was done in private between two people why are you making it public you know in the case of my teammates you know they ended up going to court and uh going to trial so i say and not guilty in all charges, but even though you're not guilty, your, your name still. is still 
Oh yeah, they, they, they kill you in the, in, the, in the newspapers. They kill you in the newspapers. Mugshot all on the front page. Remember um, when I first had to turn myself in? Mugshot was in the, open up the newspaper. Boom, mugshot was right there. Crazy. Mad, 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 mad. That's so I think, I remember Luau was in Utah at Summer League and he called me like, yo, what's going on at your school, man? I've seen this thing on ESPN. Da, da, da. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other guys, it's, it's you know what it is. It's trying to think about not even putting yourself in those positions that it can. And how do you do that? Obviously, make sure that you're around a lot of people, so people can see and corroborate stories. Make sure that interactions are documented, text messages, pictures sent. Um, what else? Make sure. There's no little to no um, alcohol or any other things okay, involved. Yeah. Okay. They can put it down to poor judgment. Um, make sure that you don't do anything to embarrass them afterwards, because um, no one wants to feel like you know they're a hoe for choosing to you know, willingly give you themselves and stuff like that kind of stuff. Um, don't be involved. Like, like the more I grow into it. The more, more I grow and I understand, like even scenarios where it's multiple guys and one girl, like you may think that, oh, she she was with it. She never said no, she wasn't. But some I've, I've heard stories where they say like, they was too scared to say no. Or they, they just mm. rolled with it because or they didn't realize and that it was going to be like this. And, you know, they might have agreed to, to one or two, but then when there's like four or five, it's like, oh, and, they get caught up. Don't even put yourself in those scenarios. Easiest one: put your head down in your books. You know, find you a good girl and just disappear, bro. <laughs> <laughs> come off the grid. <laughs> That's the easiest, That's the easiest one. Come, come off the grid. Say That's nothing. Yeah, we. But but we, when you're when you're a guy and especially an athlete, if you're in D1 or wherever, man, those things are afforded to you like easily. Like, you know, you're the, oh, you're on the, especially on a sports team, you're on a football team, you're on a basketball team, you're on a baseball team, you know, they know who you are, man. And then they want to put themselves in your orbit, and there's just temptations everywhere. As I said, but if you ain't got the oldest to direct, to direct you, you're yeah. you know, reckless, man. Well, I mean, well, today, to, you know, for today, right now, you are going to be the, the, the elder mentor for a lot of young men and women watching this so i'm hoping they can definitely take this on board um and and take great value in un your unfortunate situation but hopefully it's a it's an active learning lesson for for these youngsters coming through and you know it as a coach my 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 problem is and kind of like you know what birthed the whole idea of the euro stepping is that you know as a coach, they just look at you as the old guy. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you're the old guy, and uh, what do you know? You know, you're like mom and dad who didn't live a life kind of thing. But you know, someone like yourself that's been through it, played D1, played D2, um, have gone through the trials and tribulations, you know, and they can look at your body of work, even as a pro playing national team, everything. Now it means something a little bit different than just the old guy with the clipboard and the whistle just moaning and moaning. So, um, you know, it's very, very uh, appreciative. Um, last question on the whole thing is, 
not just on not on the case, but on on the the going to the states. Um, yeah. The way things worked out, did, would you say there was value in you, you know, traveling to the states and playing ball in the states, or do you think it would have been beneficial? Uh, I didn't know a different avenue. Okay. So all we knew was America, because that's what people did back then. You know, Joe went to the States. Ugona went to the States. Rashid went to the States. Sullivan went to the States. All right, we're going to the States. <laughs> it wasn't until when I, when I first played for GB and I start talking to Joe Freeland, I said, yo, you didn't go to the States? No, no, I went straight to Spain. I did, what? You can do that. No, in my head, I'm like, yo, man, I could have been playing for a nice That's I was thinking. So I wait till I'm 24. Like, yo, um, I didn't know like that those um, opportunities weren't afforded to me. So now it's not a necessity because, well, you know, we were exploited in uh, college. You know, now they allow student athletes to make money off their name. But, you know, when, when my likeness was in um, the NCAA, EA Sports, NCAA games. You know, yeah. I'm on the PlayStation playing as myself, you know, or when jerseys are being sold or that kind of stuff, not making any money. And, you know, I was like, what am I doing? If I had the opportunity to go elsewhere, I would have done that 100%. And I had the opportunity to leave school early to go to China and uh, to go to a top league in Italy. This is during the time span when I was still handling the case. Um, they had seized my, seized my passport so I couldn't travel so I missed out on a lot of you know what they're paying China for <laughs> I missed out on a lot um, yeah but if, I, if I'd known a different avenue man I would have maybe I would have taken a double, another one but all my idols were American based who went to schools in the states so I was like let me just follow their footsteps that is crazy so you know especially you well, you can say it now that you're older, but I mean, the fact of saying categorically, hey, I'd have went a different route is like more interesting, you know, as you said, considering that not only your peers or the majority of your peers, but the fact that you said your idols, you know, Chris Webber, Shaq um, and Grant Hill, you know, those are the three got, you know, big American stars and I guess trying to emulate and, and wanting to play in the NBA. Um, I guess from a youngster, you don't really think about going through, like now there's multiple different ways to get to the NBA, right? With the G League stuff and guys being recruited from pro uh, Lamelo Bulls, like the, you know, geez, gone crazy and went everywhere yeah. but college. So, but to, to say like, hey, no, I wish I would, you know, took another route. Um, it was real interesting, so. Yeah, there was, no, there was no spotlight put on it. Like, I remember like um, Joe was on, Channel 4 for remember they had the basketball show, I forgot the name of what it was called, man. They had two two shows on channel four for the NBA in like the early two thousands, like 99, 2000, 2001. I forgot the name. He was on that. Maybe it might be called NBA 24-7, something like that. So talking about him when he was at St. Thomas More High School. And every everything was just guys who went to the States. Like, I don't know who was around my age who went a different route. We went to Europe or something. I don't know. Mm. That that needs to be highlighted more. 
So yeah. guys with upper opportunities, like I remember when I first started playing in Japan, that started being more of a being spotlight, being being put more in the spotlight because I was the only British person that was ever in Japan at that time for until Matthew came and then now you got OV and Ryan oh, and Miles, you know what I mean? There's a lot, you know what I mean? But a lot of guys went over there now. But if people's successes or journeys are better documented, then it's going to be better for everyone as a whole because, like, oh, I can take this path or that path, you know, or this path, you know. Well, well, I'm hoping to get right. Well, Ryan's agreed, so I'm hoping, hoping he comes through soon. Um, yeah. But, you know, Ryan is kind of like just because of that reason where he had the opportunity to go to the States and he just went, no, nah, I'm not. And, and why he decided not to go to the States and what was the difference? You know what? That's, yeah, because that's, that's, that's what it was. So when I got to GB that time at the camp at Brunel, so Ryan was, what, 17 at the time? Mm-hmm. And then I think Joe might have been like 21 or 20, something like that. Okay. And both of these both of these guys were nice. And none of them went to the States. And I'm like, how? You've been playing pro since when? I was like, what? And I'm over here <laughs> taking classes. <laughs> With my ID card asking for like, yo, can you put some more meal money on my card, please? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's what I was like, yo. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> big old flow like, hey yo, let me let me get an extra five dollars, please. <laughs> I said, like, yo, bro, you ran for your money already? I said, yeah, man, I eat, man. Look at me. <laughs> oh, but I remember, like, back in school, we used to like, we used to stunt, like, um, because uh, our ID cards had the money on it and meals, so we pretend like we were like already playing pro. So when we go to like the um, dining area in the evenings, you know. Like, we'll be at the table, like, we might be a table of girls or something. It might be a Friday night, people are going to go out to the party, be like, yo, yo, put that stuff on my car. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, we do a little stuff like that, man. <laughs> yo, we're taking it till we made it. <laughs> Balling in the food hall with the card, yeah, like, yeah. Bro, because people never had that. Like, I forgot how much money we used to get. It might be like, like $1,000 for food, and then we got, like uh, another place, free meals, like three meals a day for free. So we could go either way. So we, like, we, we was always cool. And then, you know, one of the things, things start realizing like two, two groupie chicks, they would be all friendly with you just to get them a little bite to eat. <laughs> just a little Chick-fil-A. Just ask you for something to eat, man. It's cool. Man. Some chicken tenders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember, remember this and now. <laughs> that, was, that, that was your the, the the epitome of your um your your uh, ball, balling um status. Start, yes, Get, getting girls, fun. getting girls sandwiches and chicken tenders. Two, two tenders, bro. Listen, them tenders are hitting though with the honey mustard. You gotta get the honey mustard. Yo, hey, I might have to call this episode two two tenders. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> oh, no, I'm writing that down. <laughs> oh, oh, crap. All right, uh, we're going to get through the um, travel and tourism bit real quick, man, real quick. We're going to fly for it. Um, so um, 
The high school was in Connecticut. Yes. Um, where's LaSalle? Philadelphia. And where is uh, uh, Bellarm? Bellarmin is in Bellarmin, sorry. Yeah, so what's the weather in all those places? What was the weather like? Um, all of them get really hot. Louisville gets muggy okay. in the summer, like humid, uncomfortably hot. Like, uh, um, Philly can be a sweatbox in the summer. Same as Connecticut, but cold as hell. We're talking about cold, talking about brick. Like the hawk would be out. Like as soon as you step outside, like the cold just slap you on the back of your neck. You got to wrap up like this. Oh man, yeah, um, yeah. So the temperate weathers. Think of the UK, but more extremes. Okay. Even hot we get and even colder. Okay. All right. Um, must see destination. You don't have to do for every city, but the the things that you've seen in any of those places that you're like, man, like you need to check out such and such if you go to Philly or whatever. Um, Philly, the art museum where Rocky um, ran up the steps. So yeah, yeah I, went, I, I went and saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you run the steps? The yeah, I did, we all, we all did that. Oh, okay. The flag make sure you go Pats and Geno's um, for the steaks. Um, in Connecticut, we didn't do anything. It was a boarding school. So once in a while, like, they'll, they'll do like a, a minibus trip to, I think it was Bridgeport Mall, but we didn't do anything. We was on campus all the time. So I can't really speak on Connecticut. Um, Louisville, like Barstown Road, it's all the, like the little bars and stuff, like just good vibes there. And uh-huh. it's, it's a college um, city, you know, between us, we're small, but obviously, yeah, University of Louisville, University of Kentucky. Uh, there was another school, I forget. Um, so, like, it just, it was always good vibes in that, that little area in Louisville, Boston Road. Yeah. Okay, well, I know you wasn't drinking because you wasn't of age. You know what I mean? I know you was. Uh, I didn't like drinking. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, was... I got, I got, in, the funny thing is, my last year there when I was leaving, I got introduced to whiskey, Jack Daniels. I've been part of the Jack team for years, but this, <laughs> this girl, um, she laughed because I had like a, you know, I used to get those really fruity ones, you know, like in the bottle that was like 2% alcohol or something. And she oh, is that where Lakin got it from? Jeez, oh my life. How kind of a man drinks that? Like, I was like what do you mean? It tastes good. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's yeah, I, yeah, your boy, your boy's still over there drinking Malibu, we're talking about, yeah, I'm drinking. Uh, anyway, Lakin be drinking this Serrano. He knows about this Serrano. Yeah, Ask hey. about this one. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is um, right on Miami. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, best place to get food in these places, those three cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or oh, you can you can name your top one. Uh, was it only ones where I went to school, or any period? Uh, any period, or any, or any. And this is just America, yeah. Yeah, yes, sir. Okay. <clears throat> well, Philly, where do we go? Explorer's Den, which is by a school. Cheesecakes, like, there's cheesesteaks the size of, like, my forearm, like, filled up. For $10, real? Maybe. Cheese with, oh, man. What? That one, or Pats and Geno's is always fire. Um, Louisville, I don't really remember in Louisville, man. 
Oh, Miami. There's a few places on the strip. Oh, I don't remember the names though. There's one Eritrean spot we went to in Miami that was. Okay. I wish I remember the name. I went to a lot of cities, man. I don't remember like so the rest of like... All, I, all I would do, like I would, how I choose what I want to eat is I'll choose something based on like what my palate requires. So um sweet savory and the texture. Don't want something soft, crunchy, something like that. Then I just think of that and I'd be like, what what kind of restaurant could I get something like that from? I just go from there. I don't even know the name. But that, Dave and Buster's is good in Philadelphia. What's that? That's cause I'm dreaming. Dave and Buster's. Because oh. that's because of the, the games and stuff and they had decent food there. Okay, okay. That was, I wasn't expecting Dave and Buster to come out. <laughs> it was fun. I went on a few listen, I went on a date there once, right? <laughs> and you know, like, you know, you know she's filling you. And but you wanna you want you wanna tip her over the edge, innit? So I was like, yo, let's let's play the basketball game real quick. So oh, I'm, my. I'd be working my foul shit. So I'm over there, I just like, where I was where I was shwacking. You look at the corner of your eyes, so she's she's looking like that's my man, like that man. Yo, them ones, yeah. <laughs> A little bit of fun. <laughs> A little bit of fun. You gonna use everything to your advantage, man. Come on. <laughs> Hey, man said he was over there hitting free throws and just giving her the look, man. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, you know, you go against somebody. It's like, oh, I'll try. Knowing that, yeah, I'm about to kill this. I'm about to kill it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah. And she walks out with a big teddy bear, yeah? <laughs> I think I did get something, yeah. Oh, man. All right. All right. Smooth, man. Smooth. <laughs> um, best place to get new kicks in any of the cities. Um, it's either foot action or foot locker. And there was a damn one more place. City Blue. That's okay. Philly. City, City Blue. Blue had, that had like this was what the youngsters wearing now that we were in Air Force Ones back then. So we had all the all the different flavors, Air Ones. City Blue had obviously hip hop was big, so it was Sean John. It was Rockaway. Rockaway, yeah. Pele, Pele, like, we was rocking all that. Um, Jabot, oh, my camera gone blurry. Hold on a second. Okay. Jabot jeans, all that kind of stuff. The City Blue had it. City okay. Blue. Okay, all right. Um, what is the best American holiday? Um, thanks, Probably think Thanksgiving is obviously historically is not a great thing to give thanks for, you know, what uh-huh. happened. Uh-huh. But as a college athlete, um, and it was a time for family, we could never go home. So we'd either go to a coach's house or one of the teammates or something and then just get so much food, man. I got introduced to sweet potato pie and you know, they taught me how to play spades. This kind of stuff. Like I didn't hey, know about this. Okay. Spades player. Okay, I got you. Um, did you get homesick, and how did you deal with that? Uh, I did get homesick, um, but then you start realizing it's not. I didn't really miss too much of home. It was the people. So as long as I was communicating with them, it didn't matter. But I honestly believe. If I was in the States now, with the way technology is, I wouldn't have even felt any of that because there was no video call like that, man. 
I used to get the calling cards. I'll call home once, twice a week, you know, tw- twice a, maybe like three, four times a month, maybe. Um, I, I had a mobile at the time, but the mobile were little flip joints. It wasn't the same. I mean, I didn't have a, I didn't have FaceTime until 2012 with iPhone. I mean, I didn't have none of that. But um, yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I remember using um, them, them uh, calling cards, and you get. Yeah. Two minutes remaining. Like this yeah. generation will never, yeah. they will never <laughs> mid, mid combo, and then it just goes blank for a minute, and you're like, huh? There's two minutes remaining. You're like, raw. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a good, I had a good group of friends though. So one of my really, really close friends, um, Stephen Smith. Um, so like he was, he was the only child, right? So. And he was never really at home, so he used to stay on campus. So me and him, we'd be on campus all the time. So but I was like, always I had a brother. So we would do everything together. You know, mm-hmm. um, we made it to the Sixers, you know, played overseas and stuff. So I, I had like, I had a good group of people around me if I was fortunate. Nice. All right, last three questions, big homie. Um, yes, sir. So final reflection. Um, what was the biggest adjustment to American culture? What was the hardest thing to kind of overcome or, yeah. Nothing, there wasn't nothing like that was actually too bad. Like I remember, I remember they used to be, they used to be overly friendly okay. and that was odd to me. Like, hey, how are you? Yeah, how are you yeah, doing? yeah. Hey. in London, we just like here. We just, yeah, <laughs> or like you might do like a, you keep it moving. So yeah, I mean, but it wasn't nothing really off, you know. I I embraced everything because before I went, I've always wanted to go, right, mm. from the age of like fifteen, because I was big into rap. So when my guys back home were wearing straights and you know um, was it Reebok classics and whatever they was wearing back then, I'm, I was wearing. Jordan brand, uh, Jordan 4s, uh, AIs and baggy jeans and listening to rap. Like, so I was like, my mom was, I was already over there. Yeah, when I got yeah, there, yeah. it was like coming to America. Like, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Like, for those of us, I was like that. I just felt like I was supposed to be here. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So obviously we've spoken about a lot, but um, how would you advise to deal with um, distractions overall? So dealing with um, drugs, alcohol, love interests, you know, obviously you're in school, but how do you navigate those distractions? Um, I had uh, to constantly remind myself of my why and also be very conscious of my surroundings that they weren't my surroundings and they were temporary. So when I wake up, I'm in the room that was given to me because they gave me a scholarship that can be taken away. This isn't a room, this isn't my, my room at home. You know, my brother's not there, my mum's not there. My friends I grew up with are not there. These are different surroundings. My family's not here. Um, when school is done, I kept thinking like, oh, can't just stay here because you know I've got a social security number and all that, but it's like I don't, I don't have a green card. I don't have the citizenship. This isn't home. This is 
a stepping stone to where I want to get to. So it was a constant reminder that this isn't it for me. So anything that would detract from that, I'd just nip it in the bud quick. You know, I, you know, I wasn't I, I wasn't out there drinking, uh, never smoked, um, you know, did drugs. So I got caught up in that thing. That's like, I was such a like a, you know, clean as a whistle guy that when it happened, it was like, what, Flo, what? No, which is why first day of the trial I got kicked out because I had so many character references, and they did they did the digging after I got better um, lawyers and found out yo, it's just completely fabricated. Um, but it's that of the why, like what do you want? Like my whole thing I told you was I wanted to play pro. College wasn't enough. They love you in college, but then when it's done, like I had a, that wake up call going into my junior year. They don't love. They love you as long as you're doing something good for them. So, make sure you do something good for yourself. Because when they stop loving you, who's gonna love you? You gotta love yourself. So, it was always that bars. Yeah, I love it. Bars. Um, what advice would you give to new recruits that are attending college or wanting to go and play in the states? Yeah. Uh, talk to your coaches. Um, create a rapport. Talk to your. Um, academic advisors because remember um, they're giving you the scholarship right so you got to get what you can out of the deal because if you don't they'll use you and spit you out and bring in somebody else there's a factory so when it comes to your your coaches be very specific uh, ask what they need right what can get you on the floor and then have that marry with what you want to get out of it too and where can you find a happy medium? Then you demand a lot of your coaches. If you re- if it's what you really want, extra time, coach, can you rebound for me? Coach, can you put me to do a workout? Coach, or the, the, the S&C coach, can I get a session in? That kind of stuff. So that's the basketball side. Um, also, when it comes to like the academic side, your professors, I just sit in the front of the class and all my professors love me like, they thought I, I sat in the front because I had astigmatism. I never had glasses, so I couldn't see the board. So, but they thought I was like really attentive and just seeing sitting at the front. Oh, the athletes sit at the front. Oh, they, they love that. And if you create rapport with these professors and stuff, remember they're human too. And they, they, they help you out so much more and they make the workload easier. Like they might explain something in a different way that can help you get a better grade or they'll make more allowances you know, if you've got a schedule going on the road or we're flying out, you're like, yeah, I understand you're doing that. Da, da, da. And then also part of your scholarship means that you're supposed to get academic help. So don't ever, you know, feel like you're falling behind or struggling. You better go and use those resources, man. Like immediately, like don't, this is, you, you shouldn't be struggling on your own. And if you are struggling on your own, then it comes a case of, you know, can I get out of this situation? Because don't have my best interests at home. No, that's um, <clears throat> that's some great advice. Um, definitely the communication um, aspect of things, and you know, really talking to your advisor. Um, and I would I, I would add in like talk to the older classmen. Do you know what I mean? Like the guys that have been through it, um, and kind of like you know mentorship. If you know um, individuals that are at uh, another school or someone that's just been through it and kind of like, hey, how do I navigate this process of my life? 
um, what can I, you know, what can I do to be more efficient? Um, and I think that's really important um, in terms of, of of attending school. Copy them too. Yeah. Bug yeah. them and copy them. So, as I said, Russell Butler went to my school. Um, he was the best player on our team. He was a Atlantic 10 or conference player. He made it to the NBA, but he was also a guy that was always in the gym and probably one worked the hardest. And he was the best. I remember senior night, he wore, he used to wear number 45. Senior night, he had 45 points. And I used to see him in the gym. When we, we finally got a gun, uh, the shooting gun. Mm. And he was always on it. So I'm like, and as I'm watching this, I'm like, yo, it's, it's not an accident that he's the best guy on the team and getting all the minutes. Like, so I just thought, yo, he's on a gun, I'm gonna do that. So me, me and Saul, well, we call him Bop, like then, um, I'm like, I still have to practice. Hey, let's get these shots up. This is when I had my boot on too. So he would shoot and I'll just stand there, like if the ball went over, I'd go grab the rebound or, when he was done, I made sure I used the gun too. I'm standing there shooting free throws with the boot on, all this kind of stuff. Because yeah, I was just seeing what the, they did. So if they were getting the results I wanted, then let me just copy. No, nice. you know I, 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 I like I like the idea of. Um, they say imitation is the biggest form of flattery, of flattery, right? So um, yeah, uh, the big. Um, my guy Flo, man, I appreciate you coming through. Um, we've been trying to coordinate for a minute, so ah. <laughs> glad yeah. we managed to get that. I'm glad I managed to find a little, you know, a little avenue to get yeah, into yeah. your schedule. You know what I mean? Um, really, really appreciate you. Um, and as I said, your uh, your career, your your path is 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 really inspirational um, to a lot of people, and I'm, and I'm happy to be on the outside and looking in and all the rest of it. So, man, I are really you appreciate it. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, um, before we leave, um, just wanted to, you know, you kind of touched on it a, a, a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to pay um, some respect to, to Andrea Norton and, and Jimmy Rogers, um, to the to the big focal points of, 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 of basketball. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's a bunch of names that go with it as well. You know, like Joe White is massive. Um, Mac Pro, you know, is, is down there at Southwark. So, I mean, yeah, just wanted to pay homage to, to a couple of the um, people before us or that's helped us on our journeys and, you know, been instrumental in a lot of uh, ballers. I wouldn't even just say from London ballers because there's, guys up and down the country that have, have been touched and inspired by a lot of those names so yeah man I appreciate the big it one for that is I want to tell people is whoever is helping you and then they're not asking anything of you nothing monetary or something like that give give the give people their flowers while they're while they're here so you know with with Jimmy before he passed me and Jimmy had great few conversations where, you know, because he, he could talk to me like a man, you know. I came to him as a boy, a 15-year-old boy, and then when I started coming back to Brixton, one sec, 
yeah. I was 27, 28, you know, I'm a man now, he's talking to me on a level. And then when when someone that you look up to is now telling you how proud they were and your journey and what they tried to do to get you there and being tough, the tough love stuff. And then you have that heart to heart and they tell you other stuff of what was going on back then. You know, like the worst thing is having regrets that, damn, I wish I could say this. I wish I could have said that. So I was thankful I had that. And also same with, with Andrew. Andrew like like a big sis. So me and Andrew would talk and I'd tell her, every time I've done one of these um, video podcasts, I was doing it during lockdown, I always talk about Andrea and the role she played, you know, as the lady of basketball in the UK, and especially London basketball, the amount of people uh, that she's touched or been involved with, like, it's a ridiculous amount. I'm, I'm just one of the guys and I'm just glad I was able to get close to her when I moved back in the country. Like, if it wasn't for Andrew, I wouldn't have played for London Lions. Andrew was like, obviously Justin was there. Andrew hit me up like, yo, Flo, what you done? I know you're home. Like, listen, I'm worried about Vince or what's going on or other players. Come for me. Just mm. come. Come to a training session. I was like, right. she picked me up and brings me <laughs> in. And she dropped me back. All of that. And I, I tell a story, I put it on my story. I remember like, because it, it just reminded me of back days when we played juniors. And when I do something soft, she'll cuss me out or, Lulu, her and Jimmy said, oh, Lulu's on a period again. Oh, Lulu. First time, we this one game was in And I went out, I missed the layup. I tricked it, I snogged it. And then Andrew looked at me like, oh, like, but that was soft. Most players would get mad. I was like, yo, that was soft, my bad. Next time down, me and Justin, pick and roll. He thread the needle, went up, banged on somebody. Went back, pointed right, pointed right at the bench. Yo, Andrew, that hold that one. Yeah. I miss her. I miss her energy, man. Both of them. Jimmy's voice. I miss Jimmy's voice. I miss um, Andrew's presence. Yeah, but I'm just thankful that there was in my life. So. Very, very, very thankful. Um, and yeah, I know. You know, even though I was in a, a baller like that, I'm, I'm definitely a, a product of of the teachings and, and being around and stuff. And you know. Um, just, just, and I think I'm probably gonna have Justin on one of these soon. Um, but just, just having, just having Jimmy, you know, Calfoot, you know, where are you going, Calfoot? No, <laughs> I was about to say that, but you brought it up. Oh <laughs> man, I used to I get around. Like, Yo, you don't know Calfoot? Who's Calfoot? Man, Coach D, man. Oh, I was like, Yo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Jimmy was roasting me from day, man. I had me these happy-down likes, and yeah, that was it. I was just forever Calfoot, oh. so, you know, for, for, for Brixton. But no, big shout-out to, to 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 the Brixton Copcats family. Um, and man, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a, a family, because no matter how many years have gone by and whatever, you know, you, you see everyone doing some great stuff, and um some some great movements some great progressions and you know everyone's trying to link up and and make this thing even better for the next generation so um that's all great man my guy much so, love this is flow larkai thanks for tuning in to Eurostep with coach d words of wisdom you should get your mind right while you're traveling there so when you arrive you're mentally prepared Appreciate you watching the Eurostepping. I want to thank everybody for watching Eurostepping.
watching the Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. You've been watching the Euro stepping. The Euro stepping. Euro stepping. You've been watching the Euro stepping, a great podcast show hosted by Coach D.